On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself came up and walked along them, but they were kept from recognizing them. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, Cleopas, he said, or asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went in with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave, th gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Friend, Sunday is here. Hallelujah, Sunday is here. We're not waiting for Sunday to come. Sunday's already happened. 
That first Easter Sunday has happened and he is alive. Today is Resurrection Sunday, Victory Sunday, Easter Sunday. Because Friday's good because Sunday came. Do you remember the story of the lady who went into a jeweler's to buy a cross and chain? She wasn't a Christian. And she said to the jeweler, I'd like a gold cross and chain. I'd like the one with a little man on it. And the jeweler was a Christian. And he said these words. He said, oh, the little man has a name. His name is Jesus. And we don't sell crosses with a little man on anymore because Jesus is not on the cross anymore. He's alive. He's alive. That's what we're here to celebrate today, Resurrection Sunday. And our verse for the day is this, were not their hearts burning within them? Were not their hearts burning within them? Was there a rush of blood to their heart? They were filled with, with joy and anticipation and wonder and awe as the risen Lord Jesus walked alongside them. And I, I don't know whether you had that experience of your hearts burning I remember being at Sydney Airport, waiting to see my mum, who I hadn't seen for about five years. And you know those moments where you're, you're in the, um, the, the arrival uh, hall, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're looking, and you're looking, and looking, and then you spot them, and something happens to your heart, doesn't it? You get this rush of blood to your heart, because it's like, wow, it's here. That's the emotion of this first Resurrection Sunday, joy. Amazement, astonishment, and that's how we're supposed to feel, because he's alive. What I want to do today, friends, is just to take you back to that first Easter Sunday and help you understand what it was like for those first disciples, because you've got to remember that they were downcast, they were distraught, they were sad. Because their friend had died. They'd seen him nailed to the cross. They'd seen the spirit in his side. They'd seen him laid in the tomb. These people had given up their lives for him. They'd given up their families and their careers. They thought he was the one. And now he's dead. Not just dead, but humiliating death, nailed to a cross. And as they walked to the tomb that first Easter Sunday, it's like the darkness is lifted and the despair turns to delight and the, the anguish turns to astonishment. I've got a very simple phrase for you this Easter Sunday. Here it is. Uh, Jesus is alive and he walks alongside. That's it for Easter Sunday. Jesus is alive and he walks alongside. Let's start with the first verse. Jesus is alive. He is alive. He is risen. That's what the angel said in verse 6. Why are you looking for the living among the dead, they asked. He is not here. He has risen. He's not here. He's alive. He's been raised. He's been resurrected. Their hearts were burning because he is alive. So let's meet Mary. Let's hear Mary Magdalene's story. 
It's very strange that first Easter Sunday. It was really dark. We were up really early that day. It was about, well, before sunrise. And I was with my friends, the other Mary and Joanna, who were heading to this tomb. Uh, we had spices with us. We were the original Spice Girls. And we went to embalm the body. I, I don't know whether you've ever been to a tomb, but tombs are like a shrine. Like you, you go to be near someone you love, and, and you might take a candle or some flowers. You just want to be near this person because you love them. And that's how we felt. We loved Jesus. We loved him. And we were so sad, and we were so downcast, and it was dark. And, and, and as we walked, we were like, who's going to roll the stone away? And as we approached the tomb, it's like, wow, the stone's already gone. And then we looked inside the tomb, and there was two men. They were, they were bright, white, bright, and we knew they were angels, and so we, we bowed down before them. And then they said this really, really intriguing question. They asked us, why are you looking for the living among the dead? What a strange question. Because Jesus was dead. That's why we're here, to, to embalm a dead body. Of course he was dead. We saw the nails. We saw the spear. We, we heard him say, it is finished. We saw him take his last breath. Of course he was dead. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Could he be alive? Could he be living? And the angel said, look, remember what he told you, how he must suffer and then rise again. And it's like the lights were going on. It's like our eyes were being opened. Could he be alive? And we rushed to tell our friends, the disciples, he's alive, he's alive. But they thought it was nonsense. It made no sense. It was nonsense. Now, church, maybe you're here tonight and you think the resurrection is nonsense. It makes no sense, does it? Because dead people don't rise. Uh, dead people could be resurrected, but they don't rise. They could be resuscitated, but they don't rise again, never to die again. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, John Stott says that Christianity is a resurrection religion. If you remove the resurrection, Christianity is totally destroyed. It is not about reincarnation or annihilation or nothing. It's resurrection because Jesus was raised. I love the conversation between the Muslim and the Christian. And the Muslim said this, we Muslims have one thing you Christians don't have. When we go to Medina in Saudi Arabia, we, we find a coffin and we know that Muhammad lived. Because we have his body in that coffin. When you go to Jerusalem, you find nothing but an empty tomb. And the Christian said, thank you so much. What you say is so true. And that's what makes the internal difference. The reason we find an empty tomb is that we do not worship and serve a dead man. We worship and serve a risen, living Jesus. And if you are here tonight and, and, and you're thinking this is nonsense, that the facts are indisputable. It's what I call the, the four E's of the resurrection. The empty tomb. The tomb was empty. There was no body. And grave robbers didn't steal it. And the authorities didn't steal it. And the disciples didn't steal it. And animals didn't eat it. 
the body was gone. The tomb was empty. That's undeniable. Uh, there were the eyewitnesses. Mary and Mary and Joanna and Salome and all these women saw the risen Lord Jesus and the 11 disciples gathered in a room. He ate with them and, and Thomas who said, show me your nail marks, show me the piercing and then I'll believe. And Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. So, so all these people saw the risen Lord Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. And, and they're the people who wrote down this gospel. That's indisputable. Empty tomb, the eyewitnesses. You had the explanation. The angel said in verse 6, he's not here, he has risen. It's hard to interpret that any other way than he's alive. And then you had the, uh, the early church. You know, the, these disciples, the, these men and women, their lives were totally transformed from timid to being courageous from living in fear to, to boldly preaching a resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, most of them suffering, most of them dying, and thousands of people believed in Jesus and the church of Christ was born. Charles Colson became a Christian after Watergate. And he said this, I, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate has proved that to me. How? Because 12 men testified they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. And then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, not denying it once. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. And they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Impossible. So it's not nonsense. He really did rise. He is alive. But does that really matter? Does it really matter that he was raised and alive? Of course it matters. Of course it matters. If, he, if he's not alive, if he wasn't raised, then it means that we're still in our sins. Our sins have not been forgiven because Jesus said that he would die for your sins, die to pay the penalty of your sins, die to forgive you, and then he would rise again. And so if he's not raised, if he's not alive, how can you be confident that your sins are paid for? If he's not alive, you're going to face God face to face on judgment day with no assurance that your sins are forgiven. Of course it matters. And it matters because if he hasn't been raised, then, then, then death has not been defeated. No one has defeated death. And that means that death is the end. There is nothing beyond death. Nothingness. And if that is true, if this life is all that there is, then can I encourage you that you're completely and utterly wasting your time being here tonight. Go down to the pub, have a beer, have a nice glass of wine, go for a walk with your friends, do anything but be here. Just live your life. Live life that you want the way that you want to live it. But he has been raised. And he is alive. And that changes everything. As many of you know, I spent two years investigating Christianity when I was at university. I was a mathematician, got a PhD in applied mathematics. So I wanted evidence. I wanted proof, concrete proof. And so I investigated all the claims of Jesus. And, and you know what? The more I investigated it, the evidence stacked up. Intellectually, the evidence was indisputable that Jesus lived and died and, and rose again. But for me, that was just 
intellectual facts. It meant nothing to me. It meant nothing to me until someone that I loved deeply died. And then it meant something to me. Because when someone that you love is facing death, then you do want to know that the death is not the end, don't you? Uh, you again, you, you know that in, in my, my life, I, I have a, I've, I've experienced a lot of suffering, a lot of death. My father's died. All my grandparents died before I was 20. My, my stepfather, my father-in-law, my stepfather-in-law, my, my close friend Chris was killed in a car crash. 25 years ago, leaving a wife and two kids. Simon was murdered. I've got Mark. I've got Peter. I've got Annie. All these friends of mine who have died. And when friends die, when family die, there is grief that is impalpable. There's pain. There's a hole, an ache in your heart. But if they're trusting in Jesus, in the risen Lord Jesus, it does transform your grief. Because you really do believe that Jesus is alive, and so they're going to be alive as well. As a pastor, I get to walk alongside people who are in pain and suffering, and, and to watch bodies just deteriorate and get frail and fail, to watch people suffer with, with cancer, with arthritis, with muscle diseases, with dementia, and to see this human body get frailer and frailer, it, it is so it's so difficult to watch. But because you know that death is not the end, and because you know that Jesus is alive, and because you know there's a resurrection body coming, a perfect body, a perfect body like Christ's body, that changes everything, doesn't it? So of course it matters that he's alive. Remember the story of the, the man, the father whose son died. Can you imagine that? His son, your child dying just before Easter. He said this, Easter's taken on a, a new importance for me this year. Until you stare death eye to eye, Easter's just a word, a nice day with bunny rabbits and eggs. But when someone is precious to you and they die, Easter becomes everything to you. It's an anchor in a fierce storm. It's a rock on which to stand. It's a hope that raises you above despair and keeps you going. Jesus defeated death. Jesus was raised from the dead. And so my son will be raised and I will be raised. Jesus lives, and so he will live, and I will live. And that means everything to me. Easter means everything to me. So your heart's burning right now because Jesus is alive. He really is. The second half of this sentence, Jesus is alive, and he walks alongside. He walks alongside you. He does life with you. Uh, Jesus isn't just alive to be take his seat up in heaven and to reign in heaven and, and sit back and have nothing to do with you. The risen, living Lord Jesus, he wants you to know him. He wants you to keep on knowing him better and better. You can have a relationship with him. You can talk to him. You can rely on him. You can relate to him because he's alive and he walks alongside. Let's meet Cleopas. It was a really bizarre Easter day. I, I'd gone for a walk with my best mate, and we were walking the road to Emmaus. It's about 10 kilometers from Jerusalem to Emmaus. That's about the spit to Manly walk. And we were chatting, and we were chatting, and we were, we were really sad. I mean, we were saying, why did Jesus die? Why did he die? You ever had that feeling when you're walking with somebody, and you just sense 
there's somebody else there. You ever had that feeling? You sense that a third person behind you. We had that feeling. This third person came up and we didn't recognize him. And he asked us this bizarre question. What are you talking about, he says. Oh, Jesus of Nazareth, he said, what's happened in Jerusalem? He's like, are you the only person who doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem? And he explained how Jesus had died and we thought he might be the Messiah. And then he asked us a really, really rude question. He was quite rude, actually, this third person. He said, are you stupid? How foolish you are and slow to believe. And he began to open the Bible with us. And he showed us from the Scriptures, from the prophets, that the Messiah had to suffer and then rise again. And and from the Psalms, that the Messiah had to suffer and rise again. And he was a great Bible teacher. (laughs) You'd almost think that he actually wrote the Bible himself. We we still didn't know who he was. And and we said, hey, why didn't you come back to our place for dinner? And so we had dinner with him, and it was extraordinary. We were just about to start the meal, and then this third person, he, he stopped, and he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and then he, he broke the bread. And it was then that our eyes were opened, and we began to sob up. Jesus? Jesus, is, is that really you, that you are alive? And then we said, weren't our hearts burning when he walked alongside us and opened the scriptures and he opened our eyes? It was incredible that the risen Lord Jesus would choose to spend time with us. That is Easter Sunday. The, the, the risen Lord Jesus revealed himself to these men through the scriptures, he helped them understand who he was. He walked alongside them. He was kind to them. He wanted to be with them because that's who Jesus is. He, he wants a relationship. Because he's alive, you can have a deep, personal, intimate relationship with the risen Lord Jesus. Think about this. You cannot have a relationship with a dead person, can you? That's why... Grief is so painful because when you've lost someone you love, all you really want to do is to talk to them, touch them, see them, smell them. But you can't because they're dead. And so if Jesus is still dead, you cannot have a relationship with him. But because he's alive, you can have a relationship. He can be your closest friend. He walks alongside you. He does life with you. It used to really bug me when Christians talked about a relationship with Jesus, Jesus being your friend. I'm thinking, what the heck is that? It made no sense to me until I met Jesus, until I believed in Jesus, and then he became my best friend. You may not see him, but you can talk to him. And prayer really is one of the most precious gifts that the risen Lord Jesus has given us, isn't it? We can come to the living Lord Jesus And we can ask him for anything. We can tell him everything. We can pour out our hearts to him. He's always there. He always listens. He's never too busy. He's never distracted. And he's completely able. So, So when you call, he hears. When you talk, he listens. When you cry out, he comforts. He cares. When you're in trouble, he strengthens you. He protects you. He provides for you. He is patient. And he has the power to help you. 
And I know that we all go through seasons of life where it feels like God is not there and God is distant and God doesn't care. But you know you're never alone. If you're a Christian tonight and believe in the risen Jesus, you are never, ever, ever alone. I love that poem, Footprints. Uh, One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand and I noticed that many times along the path, especially at the very lowest and saddest times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. Why, when I needed you most, why would you leave me? He whispered, my precious child, I love you. I will never leave you. Never, ever. During your trials and your testings, I did not leave you. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And it is true. I know it to be true. You go through the darkest of valleys, everything seems bleak, and you feel so, so, so alone. You know that loneliness is the epidemic in our world right now. Excruciating loneliness where you feel like no one wants to talk to you, no one really cares, no one understands. And in in those moments, Jesus whispers, I'm there and I care. People might fail you, but I never will fail you. One of the ways that the living Lord Jesus constantly speaks to me is through the Scriptures. Just like on that road to Emmaus when he opened the Scriptures with these first disciples, he, he explained the prophets, he explained the Psalms, he explained the law of Moses and showed it had all pointed to him. That's what Jesus does to me. I open the Word, open the Scriptures, and it's like I just hear his voice. I feel his presence. It's like he's talking to me personally. Because this is not a textbook. It's a love letter from your best friend. This is not a list of instructions to obey. It's how you encounter and experience Jesus. It's not about getting every word correct. This is encountering the living Lord Jesus. And it's like you open the word and Jesus is there and he speaks to you. He knows exactly what you need to hear. His tone is always perfect. And he shows you a truth about yourself or about our world or about other people. It's like this still, small voice of calm. But like any good friend, sometimes the living Lord Jesus points out some uncomfortable truths about yourself. Sometimes he corrects you and disciplines you. It's not pleasant, but it's for your good. And to be honest, Jesus has done that for me this past year. He's pointed out a sin in my life which I was blind to. And he kept on revealing it again and again. I didn't like it very much, but he was right. And just so you know, that that sin was a sin of self-pity. Self-pity. That kind of, oh, woe is me. 
life is so good for everyone else, but where is my life? And it's uncomfortable when God does that, but it it's, was good for my soul to say, look, open your eyes. See all the good things I'm giving you. I am there. I do care. I, I really hope you've experienced this, this relationship with the living Lord Jesus. He, he walks alongside you, never leaves you. And when you're broken, when you fail him, he picks you up. He heals you. He restores you. There's another man on that first Easter Sunday, the man that actually I love in the Scriptures. His name is Simon Peter. He's that bold disciple who speaks before he thinks and makes all these bold promises. What do you do for Jesus? But Simon Peter was, was the man who denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Just before he died, he denied his best friend. And you imagine on the night of the resurrection, he's feeling so guilty and so full of shame. How could he deny Jesus? Now, Peter's the one who runs to the tomb. But look how it's described in verse 34. It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to, to Simon. So why does he use Peter's old name? Simon was his old name. When he met Jesus, he became Peter the Rock. He uses his old name because Simon is stuck in his guilt and stuck in his shame. The lowest of low. He is so broken that he can't possibly believe that the risen Lord Jesus could possibly forgive him and restore him. And it's incredible that, that Jesus not only forgives him and restores him, but then uses Peter to preach the first sermon and plant the first church because that's what Jesus is like. Jesus takes broken people, people full of shame, full of guilt, full of pain, and not only does he heal them and restore them, but he uses them for his glory. I find that extraordinary. And so, church, if you're here tonight on Easter Sunday and... Maybe you're broken, and you know that. Or maybe you have wandered away from Jesus, and you know that. Maybe you're sitting here racked with guilt, weighed down and burdened by your sin and your shame. You're thinking, Jesus couldn't possibly forgive me. Of course he could. That's why he died, and that's why he rose again. He wants you to be his friend. And he promises that he will be your forever faithful friend who will never leave you and never forsake you. That to me is Easter, that Jesus is alive and he walks alongside. Let me pray. Risen, reigning, living Lord Jesus, I want to magnify your name tonight because you, you conquered that grave. You conquered death. You, you did the impossible. And our hearts are, are burning tonight with joy, with amazement and excitement. And, and Lord, I pray that, 
that you would keep on reminding us that you are alive, that we can talk to you, we can know you, that you walk alongside us, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us. And if there are people here tonight in this room who are questioning your presence in their life, Lord Jesus, would you draw especially close to them tonight by your Spirit? Would you show up where they encounter you and experience you the living Lord Jesus who is alive and walks alongside.